Hi, friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. We're live. That was really weird. I hit record at like totally the wrong time and I was the one counting. <laughs> oh, well, we're not going to be synced up then. I hit it on like Kate one. Katie will fix it. <laughs> oh, she jumped the gun. I jumped well, that's in. fair. I would have been DQ'd from the race. We were just talking about how we both need to eat dinner, so Katie's hunger is talking. Her I guess stomach so. Is I didn't calling realize. the shots. <laughs> Sorry, tummy. Welcome back. How is everybody? It's hard. (laughs) I feel like we said it was hot last week and it's like hot, hot now. I can see Brandon outside because we are ambitiously decided to do our fence this week. We've been talking for months about wanting to redo our fence. And my, actually, you'll really like this. My dad, he recently took some trees down in their backyard. He did like a little bit of clear cutting to like, he milled them himself. He milled them into fence posts for me oh to make God. a fence, and then we like got panels. But anyway, we've been As sitting if on I'm this. not like already obsessed enough with your dad. I know, and, and again, I angel. love my dad. Like it's no knock to him. Again, I'm like obsessed with my own dad, but like, I just I love a good quality dad. I know, and, and I I'm feel a like we both got girly. them. So, so there's something about like knowing that. They came from, like, the trees in my parents' backyard where, like, I used to play. Yeah. Because that's, like, was my house from when we were, I was probably, like, 12 and up. So, You're also anyways, very feeling... fortunate to have, like, a childhood home around still and your parents are still together. So, there's, like, so much sentimental value in that. Yeah, and it's, like, my first home and I'm, like, building my first fence. So, oh, having those is, like, my fence post. My I'm heart. feeling very, I know, I'm feeling very, like, buttery soft about it. But, anyway. Don't cry. You just had your it. lashes done. They can't get wet. Oh, no, absolutely. I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> no, we've been talking about it for months, and we decided, like, this week, the hottest week of smack dab hey, in the middle of the summer. it's 32 degrees out with really it's high humidity. Out. Let's do this. Yeah, so I can see him outside making an offense. I'm just in here roasting, and we're going to get it done. Part three. Oh, it feels like so much, but so little all at the same time. I know. Part three of four. I am capping it at four. Uh, I know. You You thought I was going to come here and say part five. Absolutely not. We're sticking to four. Uh, But yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) Uh, We will just jump right in, though, I think. So unless you have anything fancy to share, I'm still watching the like uh, religious kind of documentaries. That hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. My like genre is still the same as all documentaries. Essentially. Yeah. Because a lot of them do still, root back to that as... They do. Yeah. I'm still on the Hillsong one. Uh, well, there's been some other stuff I've watched mm. in between. But the Disney has been releasing their stuff yeah. one episode like a week at a time. They, that's new. They're really trying to Disney. act as if they're cable. I think they're trying to pull off some... I mean, Amazon Prime has done it too, but not to this extent. They're killing me with the Kardashians, I'm not going to lie. Because that's a show that I very much like to binge. Oh, um, I don't watch it till it's bingeable. It's my, it's like my guilty pleasure, but I can't wait. So I have been watching it week by week, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't enjoy it as much. So 
Think about That's how much you're going to enjoy it, though, when it does actually end, and then you get to watch it all at once again. And then I just get to binge it all over again? Absolutely. No, that's going to be a thrilling time in my life, for sure. Everybody who watches Below Deck is, like, probably just shocked right now because we just had two reunion, a two-part reunion for Below Deck Sailing, and now Down Under has started again. And for anyone who watches Below Deck, that's very exciting. What are these shows? Below Deck? You've never watched? I don't. I don't okay. watch a lot of TV, you know this, so, and I have like very specific I'm, shows and then also true crime documentaries. I'm a little disappointed in you right now because I've watched this show for years, so I'm a little annoyed that you don't know this. Um, yeah, you should be. That's so below, I know it is, so <laughs> you're excused. Um, <laughs> it's like a motor super yacht and it's the crew that works on it. It's a reality show about the crew working on it. So it's like as they're working... So you see how, like, from the top down, the hierarchy works on a boat and how things run behind the scenes, how the chef works, how all the crew works together, all the deck crew, the inter- interior crew, the captain, everything. Like a cruise ship? No, like a motor yacht, like something the Kardashians would pay to charter. So it's like really rich people going on a charter. But And it's a reality TV show yeah. and I've never seen this? No. I feel like I'm missing out. This actually sounds like something I would it's enjoy in those so moments where I want to like... I think Brandon would even like it. I have those times and I'm sure we all do. We all have our shows where we can just like really check turn out our brains mm-hmm. and check out and just pretend like we're not on this planet. Real and Housewives. those are like... Yeah. Selling Sunset, The Kardashians. Yeah. This this yacht show sounds like it might be up my Below alley. Below deck, yeah. Um, so anyway, that, that and there could is, be a new one to add so to the roster for me. The best part of it, though, is there's Below Deck is the original. There's Below Deck Med, which takes place in the Mediterranean. The Below Deck Down Under, so it takes place in Australia. Duh. There's I now Below Deck Sailing Yacht, so it's a super yacht, but it's the sailing boat version. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Um, and then there's also Below Deck Adventure, and they're ones specifically that take people on, like, adventures expeditions in Norway, I think. And it's really cool. It's beautiful. This is fascinating. Yeah. Okay, well, my world just opened up. And You're welcome. These are all shows I can watch by myself, because yes. I don't have a lot of shows that I can watch without oh, Brandon. preach. I don't. I really don't. No, I agree. That's um, why I love my housewives, because they're, like my thing right yeah. there's only so many things because he really shares my documentary love now like not even just mm, true crime documentaries I like i just watch every documentary um and brandon is right there with me cooking shows we also love those mm. together um i can't even really watch bones without him anymore because now he's invested in that storyline why so do I'm- people get so obsessed with you I just want to be around you're you all the time. Like you're flicking my non-existent hair that's in a greasy bun. Oh, I don't know. You know, we're not visual. You could have just said flicking your hair and no one would have known. Yeah, but then the dramatics wouldn't have been there. Okay, I said we were gonna I said we were gonna get right into it and we did. Hey, we usually not. say seven minutes. We've hit seven minutes. Oh, that's our time. That's true. Well, before we start, uh, you know the biz. Follow. If you don't already, please follow us like. on Instagram, where we are the most active. But also, if you would like to follow our like once a month TikTok posts, you can do so. Twitter and Facebook, if that's what you prefer. Um, all of our Instagram posts do go to Facebook, so you will get the content if you're not an Instagram user. Um, 
If you have not already, a five-star rating and review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening, but those two are the most helpful. Um, and the giveaway is still open. Katie's going to make a shirt. I am going to uh, make so a Kate- shirt. Katie's been making some really fun podcast by proxy shirts because she's very crafty. Uh, and so we're doing a giveaway. I think it's open till the end of the month. So that mm-hmm. gives you 11 more days. And all you have to do is leave a five star rating and review or review. Sorry. Screenshot it. Send it to us on email or DM with your address so that we can send you a shirt if you win. Woo. Good luck. And that's it. I think we can get into part three uh so when we last list when we last left off at kingston pen uh the inmate committee was returning to the prison from their meeting with the citizens committee um and they had felt that it had gone pretty well uh the inmates gave another list of um I want to say demands. I'm going to say demands that needed. Yeah. They said needed to be end uh, be met in order for the protest to end. And um, you know they, they kind of left there. It was like just before midnight. Yeah. Those are demands. And for the sure. warden said they would meet again in the morning after they talked about it. So they get back to the the dome, the main dome where everyone is, and like shit hit the fan. Um, when you say dome, I think of like a Super Bowl or like monster tracks. They hit back to the dome. The main hub, if you will, of the... It's just what I picture, that uh, type of building. I know. It's not that. I know. But, yeah, so they get back, and it's, like, chaotic. People are lighting fires. Uh, Like, smashing is going on again. They're just out of control once again because, uh, unbeknownst to the inmate committee, while they were in their meeting with the citizens, the warden had actually initiated 130 troops from the Canadian Forces Base, so the Army in Kingston and Camp Petawawa. Uh, They arrived and marched right through the front gates onto the prison grounds. They were fixed with bayonets, automatic rifles. They had tear gas. Um, And so at this point, Billy recognizes he is in for quite a long night and potentially a much longer riot than he had originally bargained for. A much longer night is an understatement, it sounds like, with that coming in. Yeah, so it just kind of throws a huge wrench, if you will, in the negotiations that the inmates are doing with the citizens, but also the inmates' committees trust, like, from their fellow inmates, because all they can really see is that troops and guards and things are still starting to swarm the prison. They're not seeing any of kind of like the work being done if you will yeah Yeah. so by the morning we're going to kind of like flash forward to the morning of friday april 16th 1971 word had spread pretty far by this point about what was happening inside kingston pen like it took a little bit for it to really leak to the media to the public by the but by this point like everybody knew what was happening interviews with off-duty guards were occurring Um, And so there was a lot of like rumors flying about what was going on inside Kingston Pen. Because remember, there were guards working on the grounds, just like kind of outside the area of the riot, like where they still had control of the. It's like outside the the property, like out at the gates and things like like more like accessory officers. 
Exactly. And they okay. were bringing in these army troops to relieve these guards. Okay. That's what the warden said, that they were bringing in the army to give these guards yeah, shifts off. You're right? holding half our staff hostage. Well, they have six people, but yeah, they literally pulled all off-duty guards to the penitentiary as soon as it started. So now he's like, well, I need to pull people in so I can give these guys a break. Like, they can't just work 24-7. <laughs> Labor laws, people. Right. So there were some interviews with some of these guards occurring when they were, like, leaving work or, like, when they were off-duty. And so there's a lot of, like, rumors going on about what's happening inside Um Canada's deputy solicitor general at the time, who was Ernest Cote, uh, the pen- penitentiary's commissioner, Paul Fagai, solicitor general, Jean-Pierre Goyer, Jean-Pierre Goyer, sorry, and acting PM Edgar Benson. I feel like my brain is like, re- it's it's seeing what I'm reading and processing it so slowly. I don't know what's going on inside my head right now. <laughs> Okay. I'm still caught up on Fagai because that last name just makes me kind of laugh or however you say it. It might be like Fagi. Maybe. I just F-A- think it's kind of funny. He's like, he's Fagai. Like I said, Fagai. Like, I don't know. It just makes me giggle. He's the penitentiary's commissioner. I mean, look, I'm working with <laughs> We can't God. expect much. Uh, okay. So let me just, should I just lay that out again? Yeah. Canada's deputy solicitor general at the time, who was Ernest Cote, the penitentiary's commissioner, Paul Fagai or Fagui, solicitor general, Jean-Pierre Goyer, Goyer, and acting PM Edgar Benson all met that morning, Friday morning, in an emergency federal cabinet meeting to discuss the riot and kind of discuss what next steps the government was going to take to end it. I mean, it's going on. This is day three at this point. Well, I guess Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday. This is like the the going into day two. But still, they're like, okay, what are we doing here? It's still a long time for something that usually would have a really structured routine throughout that whole time normally. And that's completely upside down right now. A hundred percent. And at this point as well, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau is still on his honeymoon. And so he is not in attendance at this federal cabinet meeting. So the men are recognizing that the longer time goes on, the more dire the situation is getting inside the prison. Like it's not getting any better the longer this lasts. Um And so they're attempting basically to decide whether to take a soft approach to the prisoner's demands. These are their two options. We're going to take a soft approach and essentially give in to some of these demands. Okay. Or we're going to take a hard approach and say we're completely unwilling to negotiate. Those are the two options. Okay. That's very black and white. in general. Yeah. See the ability to compromise. Solicitor General Jean-Pierre Goyer suggested sending the inmates a directive, giving them until Saturday to decide what they wanted to do. He said he would then issue a press release on the same day to prepare the public, and he proposed that authorities would proceed with force before Monday, but preferably during the day on Sunday, using guards armed with shotguns to retake the prison while military soldiers continued to protect the perimeter. Um, so his suggestion is essentially tell them they have until Saturday to make a decision or we're storming on Sunday. Okay. 
Which I do understand that, I like, do as the government, so, like, it's kind of like a we don't we nego- do negotiate with terrorists' point of view. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, we talked like, about this before. Were... They really shouldn't yeah. be compromising in theory. No. However, they have six guards whose lives are very much hanging in the balance that they're considering. And they also know that there are inmates who are in danger, though I feel as though they were probably more concerned about the guards. I'm not saying they don't give a shit, because that's probably not accurate, but they don't care nearly as much. Yeah. So the Citizens Committee, they meet again with the inmates at 9 a.m. on Friday morning like they had planned. Everyone shows up to this meeting except for Manny Lester, who was a no-show this time. Arthur Martin, who was the acting chairman of the Citizens Committee, advised Billy Knight that the inmates were not going to be given any immunity. Um, He had spoken to the commissioner, who basically was like, absolutely not. Zero immunity. It's not happening. Oh, okay. Seems really definitive. I mean, so Billy had originally requested, remember... um, um, immunity for all the inmates who were involved in like the original assault and kidnapping of the hostages. He wanted all of those inmates to be immune from charges and prosecution. Basically, who all the people who started the riot. And I mean, I kind of understand why the government is saying no to that. They said, hell no. Nah. This I mean, guy is really putting the his group you want to reward for their behavior. No. And yeah. Billy had requested a signed agreement from the Solicitor General regarding these terms. Um, And so he's obviously told that's not going to happen. And he like jumped up from his chair and freaked out. He said that without the promise of total immunity, they could not guarantee the safety of the hostages. Um, Arthur Martin then reminded Billy that the Citizens Committee was only intermediaries and that they had no real authority to dictate any deals between the government and the inmates. The Citizen Committee had no say. They were just the middleman. Agreed, but it's like, stop involving them so much. Well, was that their request? The inmates didn't want to deal with the administration. They want a middleman. I guess. They just should be allowed to make certain decisions then, I think. Yeah, I don't know. William Donkin, who was the director of legal aid in York County, spoke up and told Billy that he could promise that anyone charged would be properly defended with full legal aid resources. So hearing this, the inmates huddle together and uh, Billy Knight then leans across the table to the Citizens Committee and says, quote, as an act of good faith, we are prepared to release one hostage. Of six. Okay. Okay. So they will release one hostage okay. as an act of good faith. Um, for two. Hearing this, that they will be, while they may be charged, they will at least get representation. Okay. Yeah, they'll be well supported and have legally throughout the whole thing. Okay. I mean, yeah. I guess they that's the best they can somebody... ask for, considering they're it already is, in there. And they wanted somebody to know that somebody was on their side. Yeah. I think. That's fair. Everyone wants to feel like someone's rooting for them or has their back at least. Yeah. Which is why they wanted to deal with a different committee than the prison administration because at this point they absolutely do not feel like they have... They wouldn't be heard. No. So, yeah, it's a really difficult spot that the Citizens Committee is kind of put in. Yeah. Um, 
agree. So Billy Knight, he gathers with the inmates just after noon on Friday to advise them that they had decided to release one hostage as an act of good faith. Uh, and kind of surprisingly to Billy and luckily for Billy, the majority of the group actually agreed um, because everyone was kind of trying to downplay the narrative that was spreading about them in the news outside the prison. Like there was a really a lot of nasty stories going about what was going on inside the prison at this point. Um, and they were really trying to make it seem like they were having a peaceful protest. So they figured that like it would be a good idea to agree to release a hostage. It would look good on them. So they voted on who would be released. Um, and it ended up being Terry Decker, who, if you remember, was the guard who originally told Billy Knight to tuck his shirt in, which prompted uh, him to sucker punch Terry Decker and start this entire riot. Yeah. I do recall. So they vote. Yeah. So they vote to release Terry Decker. Wayne Ford approaches the hostages cells and orders Terry Decker to get up. He is ordered out of the cell and was taken away by the inmate police force. And I mean, at this point, Terry Decker is pretty certain that his life is over. They've been in these cells for like two days. Um, I don't think that any of them really thought that if they got taken out by an inmate, it was going to end well. So he was like terrified and... The, so the inmates, they take him toward the balcony of the main dome. And before he reaches the railing, again, he thinks he's getting thrown over the railing of the balcony. He is actually led down the staircase and past the main group of prisoners. Nobody says a word to him. It's like radio silence. He is then blindfolded what? and led out of the main dome area where he's passed over to Barry McKenzie Uh, And this is when Barry McKenzie tells Terry that he's being set free. Um, Terry still doesn't believe him. And then eventually his blindfold is removed and he sees like all of his colleagues in the citizens committee and he is actually released. Shocking. I can't even imagine how that would have felt. Yeah, because I was I had the same mindset as him. Like there's got to be something to this. No, they were all on the same page. For this one, anyways. Wow, okay. That they needed to, like, do something to make them essentially look, like, less chaotic. I just didn't think they would actually be that nice about it, as weird as that may sound. Like, although, like, from the outside, that's what they want it to look like. I just didn't think they'd actually be, like, that good about it. They did. So, Terry Decker was, thankfully and luckily, released back to his colleagues and back to his loved ones and he was free from the riot shortly after terry decker is released ron haggard and arthur martin are flown to ottawa for an emergency meeting with the solicitor general uh, and his staff so that's two members of the citizens committee remember they Uh fly them to ottawa which is i don't think that far away in ontario it's in the same province if you're flying no it's really close it's not like they're flying across the country is really all I'm trying to get. No, at. Like not at they're all. In the same, they're in the same vicinity. Yeah. Uh, but they, they fly them there for an emergency meeting with the Solicitor General and his staff. They meet at 4 p.m. on Friday afternoon in Ottawa. And in this meeting, Arthur Martin, who, remember, was the Citizens Committee, like, 
kind of acting chairman, Mm -hmm. presents this new list of requests made by the inmates on Thursday night, as well as attempted to persuade the Solicitor General that granting some immunity from prosecution for the riot would not create a dangerous precedent because at this point that was their biggest thing was that it was going to create a really dangerous like precedent and they got away with this riot so how far can we push boundaries yeah right and we know that precedents set in a legal setting are kind of taken seriously they're not taken lightly so i can understand maybe why they chose to go that direction Um, but the reason that Arthur Martin was saying it would not create a dangerous precedent is because he said just it was such a particular set of circumstances and that they were closing the penitentiary anyways is basically what he was trying to say. Like, cause yeah, it was it's dissolving to at a certain point or they're hoping. So right. it was supposed they're to. They're thinking that, yes, they're going to be able to separate all these inmates into their new housing facilities and then amalgamate this facility and it, the story will go away with. The facility. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The Citizens Committee just, like, knew, though, that granting the inmates immunity from prosecution was essential to resolving the riot peacefully. Like, if they if they could go back and say that, they could probably resolve it, like, today, basically. Um, yeah. But the government officials were, like, a hard no on this one. It wasn't even a discussion. Absolutely Ugh, not. That's frustrating. So this meeting lasts 70 minutes. Ron Haggard and Arthur Martin were going to have to return to the inmates with the bad news that immunity would not be granted under any circumstances. Um, However, they get back to the prison again and are met with another difficult set of circumstances. Oh, God. Dozens of camouflaged army vehicles are lined up along King Street outside the main gates of the prison Two military helicopters were hovering above and soldiers armed with three foot riot sticks and wire mesh shields were marching toward the front gates of the prison. Uh, One truck arrived carrying a box of gas masks. Another arrived carrying small green trailers, carrying two riot trained German shepherds. Uh, So, yeah, the Citizens Committee soon realized that uh, Warden Jarvis had called in more additional troops. And again, the military press release said that the troops that were on site were there to relieve some of the guards, not for confrontation, um, but the inmates. Sure don't make it look that way. And they did not see it that way either. I wouldn't see it that way. No. No. So... There was a mob of inmates who basically felt like at this point they had nothing to lose and they wanted to kill one of the hostages in retaliation. They were over it. Oh, God. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they run up the stairway toward the guards, uh, to where the guards were being held with iron bars. But when they get there, the inmate police force, including Wayne Ford and Barry McKenzie, confront them. These guys actually do manage to thwart off the mob for now, uh, but Barry McKenzie is starting to recognize how serious the situation was and basically called Warden Jarvis and told him that the appearance of these heavily armed troops was endangering the lives of the guard hostages. heavily escalating the situation. It's getting so awful. Yeah. 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 Ron Haggart managed to convince... Barry McKenzie that the soldiers were only additional reinforcements and not there to storm inside. Uh, 
and that's all fine that he can that he can convince Barry McKenzie, but Barry McKenzie then has to convince, convince five hundred people. Yeah. Yeah. Later that night, the warden received a letter from one of the guards that read, quote, We are being treated all right at the present time, but they have warned us that they will not be responsible for our safety if you come in shooting. And this letter was signed by uh, guard hostage Ed Barrett. Okay, that's scary. Yeah. Which, so I mean, I get what they're saying, though. Like, if you come in charging at us, we can't guarantee that we're not just going to take out your hostages so we don't have to watch them anymore. You broke the deal. Or so they yep. see it as, even though it's mm-hmm. bullshit. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. I mean, the situation's getting dire. It's like any wrong move and yeah, somebody's getting really, really scary. hurt. So Billy Knight calls the inmates to the center of the dome to once again establish or attempt to establish some sort of order and keep the inmates under control. He knew if any of the guards were harmed that all of the work that they had done would be over. He told the group, quote, the bunch of you who are running around setting off fires are toying with our lives. If the cell block goes up in flames, we'll all be trapped. Dave Shepley, uh, remember Dave Shepley, he got his jaw broken and then he got very angry. He was still on edge from having his jaw broken over the sandwiches. And he chimed in, quote, what about the undesirables? How come these creeps get a share of our grub? We ought to drag them out here and beat their canary brains in. Um, Whoa, buddy, so tell us th- how you really feel. And the anger at this point. If it can't be directed at the hostages, it's going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And they have run out of inanimate objects to smash. Um, and so it's going to start going directly at Violence. the next targets. Yeah. yeah. Billy Knight whispered something in Dave Shepley's ear and he walked away. Uh, nobody knows what was said. But again, Billy Knight knew that an attack on the undesirables would give the army any excuse to charge the dome and attack the inmates. Um, yeah. Hmm. So the citizens committee meets with the inmates committee again at 1 a.m. on the morning of Saturday, April 17th. They wasted no time in telling the inmates that the solicitor general was open to most of their requests, but was unwilling to grant them any immunity from prosecution. Uh, Billy Knight's pretty pissed at this because they had released the hostage, I think, in the hopes that they would get that back in return. Yeah, and so he yells back, this is an act of bad faith. But Barry McKenzie is also kind of recognizing that Billy is maybe not the best leader for them and is losing the plot a little bit. And Mm. so... He basically, in front of the Citizens Committee, tells Billy Knight that he's getting tired of his bullshit. Um, And everyone's starting to kind of recognize that Billy might... kind of like, yeah, me too. Billy might be in it a little bit more for himself than to actually... Help. uh, Be like an eloquent spokesperson for prison reform. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, which we kind of talked about last episode, but um, another inmate actually called his plans to publicly expose prison conditions, quote, Billy's own little ego trip. 
Yeah. And so we know that when when your intentions are more for yourself than what you're actually saying, like the greater good, the execution's just not going to be... Yeah, a little self-righteous. Excellent. Yeah. So, the settlement proposed to the inmates at this meeting was as follows. The Citizens Committee said if the inmates surrendered peacefully, their grievances would be presented to a board or tribunal with participation from the Citizens Committee if necessary. Everyone was basically on board with this to accept the deal except for Billy Knight, who was still very dead set on immunity. Shocker. At this point, the Citizens Committee is also getting frustrated because, remember, this is a really high-tense situation for these five, like, random people who are, like, lawyers and columnists and media people to be basically the deciding factor of how Being kind of held accountable for it almost. But with no power, right? Like, they are essentially given the the responsibility, yeah, of dissolving this riot peacefully but they have no actual like bargaining power so or like probably any negotiation skills or training or any qual over well they we have like lawyers and like trained people but like they're not trained they're probably okay like how to calculate sentences and talk about all these things specifically like that's some of them are just doing their best Totally. And I mean, exactly. They're doing their best. And so the Citizens Committee is getting frustrated of Billy just like, you know, flaying back at them because they can't get this immunity, which is just not going to happen. And they know it. And so Arthur Martin kind of snaps at him and goes, you have a choice between hanging for capital murder of a prison guard or accepting charges for kidnapping. Oh, my God. Which like, yeah. Yeah, that's essentially this it. This is your option. These are your options if you, like, are going to do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Barry McKenzie at the same time says to Billy, quote, most of your grievances are silly. The object is to get the guys out of here. Um, the inmates still wanted word that they would not be physically reprimanded from the guards. That was a really big concern of theirs, getting released from this riot, is that they were going to be physically reprimanded wherever they were transferred um and so they wanted promise of this yeah so this is when barry mckenzie suggests he suggested the deal of releasing one hostage for every 100 prisoners which became known as the pro rata arrangement so he said that he would release one hostage for every 100 inmates after they had proven that none of the inmates had been harmed. Okay. He continues on by suggesting that the government announces the release of the hostages, but keeps the transfer of the inmates a secret to the public so that they wouldn't have to admit that they gave in to any demands. So he's kind of starting to be smart and like, is actually negotiating you know what i mean he's like he's thinking more big i'll give picture. you something that i know you want which is to not look like you gave us what we want yeah so it's a bargaining he's a little chip bit better sure. of like a, a bargainer than yeah. billy was for sure yeah mm-hmm. thank goodness well arthur martin he's like okay this is actually quite a reasonable request um and so just before 2 30 a.m billy knight finally gives into the new plan so at this point they 
want to try and convince the other inmates that this pro rata arrangement of releasing one hostage for every 100 inmates and then granted that none of the inmates are harmed um, was the best way to end this. So they need to go and convince the inmates now. Which again, isn't a bad deal. No. And so at this point, the Citizens Committee actually feels pretty good. They're like, okay, I think we actually have a plan. And well, they also have something to go back with for once. Usually it's just like, yeah. no. Yeah. So they actually think that they might be starting to put an end to the riot. They're feeling the most confident that they have the entire time, I think. And the inmates go back to present this offer to the rest of the inmates. And they have to put forward a vote. Okay. And? So the Citizens Committee takes the information that they have from this meeting back over to the warden's house, which is right across the street. Oh, yes, he lives on Warden Jarvis and Commissioner Maloney are over there waiting. They lay out the five conditions that they have come to in order to end the riot peacefully. One, no immunity from prosecution. Two, nobody will go back to the government for a rebuttal. Three, no bargaining about who is to come out and where they are to go. Four, the pro rata arrangement for the release of the guards, one hostage for 100 inmates. And five, the right to present grievances with assistance of counsel and right of citizens committee to observe if required. Okay, so they can't go back on it. They can't rebuttal. They want to do it peacefully. But they're allowed to dispute it afterwards with proper procedural and counsel. Not dispute it, but they can actually present their grievances to, like, with the presence of counsel to somebody who will actually listen. Okay. Yeah. So there'll be an outlet for them afterwards to be able to discuss. Yes, exactly. And they weren't allowed to bargain about, like, who was coming out yeah. and where people would be transferred. Yeah. Just okay. hundred out. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. So Maloney, he present commissioner, John Maloney, he presents the officer to the commissioner of penitentiaries in Ottawa, which is Paul Fagui. When he hangs up the phone, he tells the room, quote, we have a deal. So, yay! Everyone is, like, very hopeful that this is over. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's agreeing to terms. Well, on our end, anyways. So we think. However, this feeling quickly comes to an end. No. Mm -hmm. That evening on the newscast on the radio, Solicitor General Jean-Pierre Goyer, after the Citizens Citizens Committee was told that the deal had been accepted... Goes on the air on the radio and is quoted saying that he was dealing with the riot and would not be making any concessions for prisoners. He went on to say that everything was under control and that the government was in no hurry to make any decisions. He added that the presence of the armed soldiers was, quote, terrifying to prisoners. And all the inmates had radios so they could all hear it. I'm getting mixed messages here, guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, this guy is bluffing, but he is putting the lives of these hostages in danger. Absolutely. No question about it. Now the inmates are going to get angry and possibly retaliate. 
the way that the Solicitor General handled this riot was very much up for scrutiny when it was over. Um, I think we can all like imagine why. This was just a really dangerous move when yeah. he knew full well that they had made a deal. Yeah, it's a very risky move. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he had put in been put in charge the solicitor general because PM Trudeau was on his honeymoon still and he very well could have blown their chance at ending the protest peacefully with that radio newscast. Mm-hmm. Uh the prisoners heard the newscast before Billy Knight could even get to the 500 of them to present the vote and tell them that a deal had been made. Uh, and Ron Haggart from the Citizens Committee hearing this radio newscast was so stressed out about what was happening and what he had heard that he literally threw up after hearing it, like, mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. Because he knew. This would have such a big ripple effect immediately if just one person acts out on it. He knew those hostages had been very much put in danger, mm-hmm. whereas, like, everything was, as far as they By knew, one kind of okay. one watching their back. Yeah, and, like, kind of okay at that point, you know? Like, we don't actually know what was going on. We just know what has been told. At this point, though, we're really confident they're alive, and that news could change uh that. Yeah. So back inside the penitentiary, the distrust in the building is at an all-time high. Fights are breaking out. Inmates are showing up at the hospital with injuries inflicted on one another because the hospital is still very much working. Remember, they're mm-hmm. still like doctors and nurses. Um, and so there starts to be like an influx of inmates. By this point as well, the there was like an entire segment of the inmate population who were coping with the situation by getting high on glue. Um, so we have that happening. Okay. Yeah, there's Where'd one young prisoner. Hobbycraft glue. Oh, okay. It was either guessing that or wood shop. Fair. I mean, either one. Because they have a lot of free access that they wouldn't have had when the place was manned before, right? Yeah. To things. Um, yeah. Okay. At Four o'clock in the morning on Saturday, April 17th, 1971, Billy Knight uses a megaphone and orders all the inmates to the dome for a mandatory vote. He said attendance was not optional. And as he began telling the other inmates that the negotiations were going well and presented the deal had been reached, some of the other inmates started yelling at him that he was full of shit. Fair. Brian. Yeah, right. They are... Like, hearing one thing from Billy, and then they're hearing something completely different from this the radio and the media that they're seeing. Yeah. And the people that can actually do what they want. Yes. Brian Bocage specifically was visibly upset at Billy, saying he was gambling their lives away. Uh, and this is kind of when everybody stops listening to Billy. Like, he had just lost the confidence of the majority especially sorry, after hearing the radio newscast of the Solicitor General. So the leadership at this point shifts to Barry McKenzie and no vote was going to take place that morning. Like they just kind of put it on hold. They were way too out of it in terms of like they weren't mentally in it yeah. to vote. Um, however, what the inmates did not know at this point was that 
the government had basically decided they had 24 hours before they were no longer willing to negotiate and they were going to take action. Did they tell them this or was this just something they were like, when you have an argument with someone, you're like, if they don't apologize by this day, I'm done. <laughs> no, they didn't. They they were basically just sticking to their gut, their whole like, they, they this needs to be over by Saturday or we're storming Sunday. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. The riot at this point had become a spectacle in the media. Um, there's like the streets are lined outside the penitentiary with people. You can imagine this is probably oh, yeah. like, the biggest thing that ever happened in Kingston, Ontario. So quote unquote exciting to locals. There's so much going on outside with newscasts and um, Ottawa actually imposed a news blackout when it heard that reporters were calling into the dome area and talking directly with the inmates. Um, so the government puts a news blackout on this meant that there would be no more press conferences or press releases. Journalists could not call in or release any information. So at this point, journalists start chasing down any off duty guards or prison employees they could find to make statements. One guard was quoted speaking about all the horrible atrocities going on inside the penitentiary. Um, and once again, the inmates didn't like this. They were hearing everything. Mm hmm. Much of the inmate population was starting to feel regretful for releasing Terry Decker. And they were starting again to talk about physical retaliation against the other guards. Okay, that's scary. Yeah. Billy Knight is pissed and calls a member of the Citizens Committee to basically tell him what's going on. Like, what's going on out there? Because it's making what's going on in here really bad. So within an hour, um, Morton was inside the dome standing with like the 500 some rioting inmates. And this is them trying to say, look, like it's not crazy in here. We're still being peaceful. So like Desmond Morton comes in and they're all like, oh, see, it's really quiet in here. We're good little boys. Okay. Um he walks by the cell block 1D where the undesirables are being held. And while most of them didn't say anything, one inmate told him that the other inmates were tormenting them and that they were going to be set on fire and burned to death in their cells. Um, Desmond Morton assured them that the riot leaders would protect them from any further attacks. So uh, it's not going great, as he can see. No. However... When he left the dome and returned to the Citizens Committee, he was still confident that they could reach a peaceful resolution. What an optimist. Okay. Yeah. So he drafts up a carefully worded press release, hoping it would stop any more rumors about what was happening inside the prison. Um, the government refuses to approve the statement, and instead the Solicitor General's office releases its own statement oh, stating God. it could not confirm or deny the well-being of any hostages or inmates. So okay. exactly the opposite of what Billy Knight was attempting to do, which was basically have somebody come in and then go out and report that, like, guys, everything's still good in there. The government is done with inmate shit, basically, at this point. They're not having any of it. Okay. So Saturday night rolls around. Uh, negotiations are at a wildly dangerous crossroads. The inmates do not trust the administration at all. 
Many of them are angry and agitated. They're unwilling to negotiate at all. Barry McKenzie couldn't get anybody to reach a settlement. Like, they just weren't having it at all. The government was growing very impatient at the demands of the inmates. Um, The Solicitor General, as we know by this point, had made it his position and he wasn't going to back down. A memo from the Solicitor General's office was read out loud to the Citizens Committee members and it read, quote, one, the Citizens Committee are not to negotiate in any way, shape or form. Two, the administration wants to know about any proposals from the inmate committee. Three, no more information or points of clarification are to be discussed. Four, The minister wants to know first before any answer is given to the inmates. And five, the minister wants to know what they are going to do with the hostages. And six, once the safety of the hostages has been assured, then the minister will review ways and means of working towards a peaceful resolution. They're done. Yeah, that's pretty much like just shut up and put the cuffs back on kind of thing. Yeah. And like I mentioned, they had put a deadline on this and they were... Sticking to it. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So (sighs) you can see how this turned into four parts. There's just a lot. And to tell the story how I wanted to tell it, like I, I left out a lot. You can imagine. There's a lot of stuff I'm like not including. And there was just certain things I felt were important. And like, I wanted everybody to like feel what you felt. Yes, what I felt reading this damn book. So shit basically hits the fan uh, at midnight on Saturday. The inmates panic when guards, so guards on the other side of the like their barricaded wooden door start chopping at it with an axe. But what they're said to be trying to do is actually stick a hose through in case of a fire because if you remember in the 1954 riot from like the original Kingston Penitentiary episode there was a massive fire in the main dome that like set the whole thing on fire they couldn't get it out so they're trying to like force a hose in so that they can put out any major fire if they need to however obviously the inmates just think that they're trying to chop the wooden door down with an axe to attack them understandable Um, as well (laughs) yeah so they all literally start like running around grabbing mattresses to like use as shields and ripping up bed sheets in case of tear gas and like running up to the third and fourth floor so that they can like be higher up. Um, it was madness. Wow. Barry McKenzie tries to assure them all that the army is not attacking, but he did tell them that they needed to surrender. Like, we need to come to a resolution. You need to listen to me. We need to surrender. Yeah. From the top tier, he hears Dave Shepley yelling, nobody is giving up to the pigs. Um he and Brian Bocage had taken over the men. They, they were the mob mentality at this point. All of the kind of focus had shifted to their mindset and their mentality, which is really dangerous, really bad. Yeah. Um, and basically with iron pipes, they were yelling that they called the shots now. I think about a pipe is really scary. Terrifying. Yeah. yeah. 
All of the inmates at this point, just picture this, start beating their clubs against the wall and cheering. Whoa. I don't like loud noise to begin with, and that just makes me just... Barry McKenzie is like, fuck. Starts walking back to the Citizens Committee in the hospital wing and realizes that like he needs to try and come up with something tangible really quick to bring back to the group if this was going to end. Mm-hmm. Because this is like escalated even it's gone, further now. Yeah. It's gone like zero to 60 real fast. Yeah. So over in 4B range where the guards were being held, they could hear the commotion going on in like the main corridor and... They kind of wondered what was going on. Like, they had been treated pretty well so far, but they knew full well that that could change at any point and that things were escalating. Um, It turns out that the second Barry McKenzie walked out of the dome to go back to the hospital wing to talk to the Citizens Committee, Dave Shepley and his very angry mob decided to let all hell break loose and go for the hostages and the undesirables in 1D. Wayne Ford, luckily, was still in charge of guarding the hostages, so he's still there. He's not letting anybody through. Um, Again, Wayne Ford was 285 pounds and kind of like one of the more intimidating inmates, so even a mob, he was was good. He was like, nah. I got this. Go fuck around somewhere else, basically. Um, And when it's clear that him and the rest of the inmate police force were not going to be letting the mob through, Dave Shepley and his, what's called his gang, left for 1D. Okay, so the group of people he was with. No, they leave to go like to, yeah. I'm just saying, like gang, like you even said, like his gang, like. Don't love the term. No, and. Yeah. Basically, like the mob of inmates that were yeah. kind of like on his side that he had under his um, guidance at this point, they run to the undesirables. Um, okay. And because the riot inside the penitentiary, like with the inmates, was so chaotic at this point, the undesirables had been left unguarded. So up until this point, oh they were they were fully guarded by a group of inmates who were kind of like in charge of protecting them. Yeah. And while the hostages, uh, their guards didn't go anywhere, the undesirables are kind of the last on anyone's radar and they got left unguarded. So they're exposed. They're vulnerable. Oh, my God. This scene is really graphic, Mm, um, and I left a lot of the actual graphics out of it, but it's still really nasty, so I'm just going to trigger warning. Um, It's just really bad. So Dave Shepley and his men drag all 13 men from 1D to the center of the dome. They are strapped two straight back wooden chairs and arranged in like a circle their feet are all bound by metal chains um picture this there is rock music blaring over the speakers in the dome dave shepley is pacing around the circle of tied up inmates with a mega horn 
He yells up to the inmates on the upper railing and says, what shall we do, gentlemen? And the people yell back things like, like castrate them, cut their throats, kill them. Um, he also knew that there were other people that were like hiding in the cell blocks that were considered undesirables that weren't in 1D. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he tells all the men to start looking for anybody else that belonged in what became known as the circle. There were a couple other words for this. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to imagine. I'm, I don't need to go into them. They, yeah. Three more men were dragged into the circle, making it a total of 16. Dave Shepley announces on his mega mega horn, the show is about to begin and the brutal attack on the undesirables had started. Oh, God. So Dave Shepley is like directing orders from the dome floor with the horn uh, while Brian Bocage is yelling instructions from up on range three. All of the men in the circle had their heads covered in bed sheets, um, which completely took away the humanity of it and made the beatings that much worse. Because when you don't have to look at a face and a person no that you're beating the shit out of, it's a lot easier to go even harder. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's just like so... how they say it's like easier to lodge a complaint over the phone rather than in person because you can't see the person's face there's you've removed a part of the emotional component right or like if you've ever worked in a call center you know full well that like 70 percent of the people berating you on the phone would not do it if they were face to face with you and are just doing it because they're just on the phone Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean it's the same as like keyboard warriors on the internet right they're they can't see a person they don't, there's no like human emotion tied to it. So that's what happened here. Um, I don't think I need to explain, Mm-mm. but the inmates in the circle, like they're attacked with fists, hammers, metal bars, anything the other inmates could get their hands on that would inflict pain. And they were showing no mercy. Now, remember, Barry McKenzie at this point is over in the hospital wing attempting a last-ditch effort to end the standoff with the administration. Mm -hmm. He kept calling back to the dome to, like, check up on what was happening because I'm sure he was nervous when he left. Uh, Nobody would tell him anything, and Dave Shepley was, like, too busy, quote, to take a phone call. Mackenzie was told by the Citizens Committee that the government was done negotiating and that no further discussions would be taking place. Okay. Yeah. Just like that. Well, because remember, the government had given those five points to the Citizens Committee and it was very clear and that was their hard line. So they really didn't have anything else to give him. Yeah, I guess so. It is what it is. Yeah. So by the time Barry McKenzie actually returned to the prison dome, it was 3.30 in the morning and it was dead quiet. Um, there was a circle of bound bodies covered in sheets, no movement and no sounds. 
Barry saw blood everywhere. Um, he had no idea who was under the sheets. He didn't know if it was any of the guards under there. He he didn't know if anybody was dead. And he just immediately felt sick. Oh, I would too. That's so... I couldn't imagine seeing that. Yeah. And you can imagine just like how... This is exactly what he was trying to avoid. Yeah. Um, and to walk in and just see it. Your heart would sink. Yeah. You, ugh, I can't imagine. I can't. He also knew that he could not tell any of the citizens committee what he just walked into because the army would immediately storm the prison and everybody inside would be dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's now, just before we move assessment. on. Yeah. Before we move on, I'm just going to mention that two of the undesirables in this circle of 16 that were under attack were quite a bit higher on the execution list than others. So Brian Enser, who you who you might remember, I believe it was from the last episode, had been targeted days earlier by one of those inmates. They had attempted to kill him. Um, and Bertrand Robert, who had been accused of burning his five children and placing them on a hot stove burner. Um these are the two that were well known to everyone to be high on the hit list, if you will. Yeah, I could see that. Knowing what we yeah, know about said... people in prison and who they go for. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so the the book said Bertrand Robert, um, he blamed his housekeeper saying she was evil and that he had hired her to help look after his five kids when his wife left and then he soon realized that she was like beating the kids and felt powerless to stop the abuse. Um, court records indicate the kids were age five to 11 and had been starved and burned. Bertrand Robert professed his innocence, but he was found guilty and convicted of five counts of assault, one for each child. He received a 10 year sentence. However, the other inmates just didn't think the penalty fit the crime. And so he had actually been a target at Kingston Penn since day one. Um, that's fucked up. It's super fucked up story. I didn't look too much further into it other than like the description that was in the book. Because here's the thing with these kind of episodes. I mean, I could then go into all of those individual cases and probably do like a one or two part story on each True, of them. Yeah. Do you know what They'd I mean? Like the, the, the farther down the rabbit hole I go with the details of each, like yeah. of the individual inmates cases, the longer we could be here. And I, I don't know that that that's necessary today. Uh, maybe in the future, Agreed. but okay. No, I, I, I do. That agree. was just the information I had. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of extensions um, to this case. <laughs> I mean, we could be here for... I could probably just, like, start a new podcast about Princeton Penitentiary on its own. And we're not. We're not going to do that because, I I mean, look, we... You will go crazy. I am already overextended, as I admit readily all the time. Yeah. And then I take on projects like building a fence. Yep. Sounds about right. Um... So just before 5 a.m. on Sunday morning, Barry McKenzie phones the prison hospital wing once again. He asks Ron Haggart how long the inmates had to make a decision before the government would act. 
Isn't it too late? So this is like a this is like a couple hours after he gets back um, to this scene, and he's kind of calling, being like, "How much time do I have?" Yeah, like, the government I know tells we're him wire, but... 5:15 a.m. It's like just before five. Oh my god. Yeah, which I'm not laughing because it's funny. It's just this whole. I could only thing. imagine what he was expecting. This whole to hear thing is such time, a shit though. show, and like this one guy is just trying to keep everything under control, and he's like, "Guys, how much time do they have?" Like, and they're like, mm, "Like, work with me here, minutes. guys." And you're 15 like, minutes, bro." No. It's just like, oh my god. Mackenzie told them that he needed more time and that he was unable to get a unanimous decision from the group, uh, but the government and the army was already ready to move. The Citizens Committee could no longer promise more time for the inmates. They had simply run out of time. So, Barry McKenzie then tells Ron Haggard that they would agree to release one hostage for every 60 inmates. However, the Solicitor General refused to agree to this deal. Uh, there's a bunch of back and forth, and I'm not really going to go through that too much because it's just a lot of back and forth on both ends of, like, the government not wanting to compromise on things and Barry McKenzie or, like, the inmates not wanting to compromise on certain things. Um, but long story short, they do eventually agree to the one for 60 arrangement. And eventually, just before 6 a.m. Sunday morning, one by one, 60 inmates at a time came out with their hands on top of their heads and Barry McKenzie walks the first guard hostage over to the hospital entrance the standoff was finally coming to oh an God. end are yeah. we seeing a resolution yeah so they actually do manage to come to an agreement because they really have run out of time and there's no other option um, yeah, just before 6 a.m. on Sunday morning, the first hostage is walked to the hospital. Yeah, so we're just about done this episode, um, but we'll finish it off. As the hostages were released, senior guard Ed Barrett opted to be released last. Um, he refused to leave until all of his fellow guards were safe. Commendable. Under Captain goes down with his ship. He did, yeah. His he was the senior guard, and he he was not leaving till everybody was out. A doctor examined all of the guards and determined that they were in quote good physical condition. Um, and I I recognize that it's very possible that the victims, because they're very much victims, experienced things that they may never have spoken about. Um, I have the information that is in the book and that's publicly available. And what that said was that the guards were determined to be in good physical condition, but that doesn't mean that they didn't experience things in there that, you know, we may just never hear about. Mm -hmm. And physical fitness and health doesn't mental, mean mental. So that wasn't really things. accounted for as much True. then. So we can it only imagine, right. like, yes, they did what they knew at the time to take care of these men. Right. Like, probably today you would, there would be, like, crisis counselors, trauma intervention, yes. and all that kind of stuff. Whereas in 1971, mental health was, like, not really on anyone's radar. So totally, yes. Mm -hmm. 
Barry McKenzie was the last inmate to walk out. Um, he had kept his promise as well. All the guards would be released and he would be the last man standing. Understandable. Yep. The prison administration knew that once all the guards were safe and everyone had exited the facility, they would need to go back inside and assess what damage had occurred. And they also didn't know if they would find any injured inmates. Oh, God, I can't imagine the damage. They don't know if everybody came out, basically. And that is where we are leaving part three. So the riot has successfully ended. The inmates and the hostages are all gone. And the prison administration is basically going to need to start sending people in to clean up and assess the damage and see if there are any other victims left over. I can't wait to see what the damage is. And not in like a ha-ha way. Like, I'm scared to see what the damage is. No, I know. it's Because I can only imagine based on how they were acting out when the committee would leave to try and make negotiations. They would just kind of be like, Well, that was great. Because, like, we all know that Kingston Pen reopened. And it's, like, actually kind of shocking to me that it ever reopened just based solely on this, this riot. And exactly, <laughs> yeah. literally this. Um, I agree. But, yeah. Stage like if you part had, four. If you had told me that this prison never opened again, I would have been like, yeah, totally. I get it. The fact that you're telling well, me it, it does reopen, I'm like, oh. Well, because we know that it well, was yeah. open and you know, till 2013 or whenever it was yeah, that it officially closed. Um, but like it was supposed to close anyway. It's just shocking to me, though. More than likely, they just needed to like upgrade the facilities say. and still use it because I don't think I mean, we all know that like the prison population hasn't decreased since the 70s yeah. and they need all the facilities and all the space they can get. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that they. Because a lot of it was just the the fact that the facilities were so degrading. And how do you do like a full overhaul with five to six hundred people living there? Do you remember when you used to like have to have a class in a portable for a year because that part of the school was being like remodeled or sometimes they would do that? It's they you need to be displaced temporarily while they fix what you're living in or using. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, part four. Uh. We'll be up for our next week's episode for Tuesday. Granted, Katie gets this edited and up for the weekend. I believe she will. I believe in her. But uh, yeah, last the last installment of the Kingston Pen Ride of 1971 will be next week's episode. Um, And then we will get back to some regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) But this, I do like to do these like longer series every once in a while. And this has been... I don't want to say enjoyable because it's like horrifying what happened. And I know that there's a ton of people who were very negatively affected. There's victims. This was a huge tragedy. Um, But for my own kind of like learning and, and stuff, I have enjoyed the research and like the writing portion of it and all that. So uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's really on Tuesday educational. I have learned so much and I've also been kind of, shocked and disturbed by everything i've heard as well but that's how you learn yeah for lots of reasons like we're not only shocked and disturbed at like the inmates conduct i think we can all agree that there's like a lot of things going on here even with like 
the government, the prison administration, mm-hmm. how the inmates are treated that we also don't agree with. Well, and that so they it's think very... it's okay to have this committee of like, what, six people making all these middleman conversations up until now? Like, it's weird. Like, that they yeah, had the trust yeah, yeah. in them or that, like, who decided that it was these people? Sure. Well, the inmates did, actually. But that alone decide. is weird. They handpicked them. Yeah, it's super strange. I mean, again, I, they're trying to keep the hostages alive, and I think a lot of decisions were made, like, wearily because of that. A la carte. Um, <laughs> sure. I think I think there's a lot of fear-based decisions made yeah. here. Um, but also, like... The kind of psych at the end there with the, the news casting and stuff was like, eek. It was a weird, risky, dangerous move. Yeah. But next episode, we're going to talk about, you know, the investigation that that kind of comes after this and the aftermath. And we're going to learn that there's a lot of changes that occurred within corrections because of this riot. Um, and... There really has never been anything like this happen since then because of that. No. So, yeah, we're going to finish this off on Tuesday, and um, we're going to go eat dinner. So we'll see you then. But, yeah, don't – don't before you go, if you're not hitting the follow button, wherever you're listening, please hit it. <laughs> and if you haven't left us a rating or review and you're enjoying the series, please leave us a five-star. We love it. We appreciate it. Always. Our show loves it. Um, okay, that's all for me. You sure? Yeah. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs>